Hello, I'm Rachel Gordon and welcome to Snapshots Live, our new webinar series at San Francisco Public Works. Here you'll find out about our programs and projects that really are examples of what's great in San Francisco and how we can make the city better for all of us. Today we're going to be talking about the Animal Care and Control Facility. We're going to be talking to the project manager and the executive director. We're going to be finding out what's going on behind the scenes to really get this project built. The webinar is going to be lasting about 45 minutes and we're going to be recording it so you can look at it later if you'd like to share that with others. Joining us for the webinar is Tim Kempf, the project manager for the Animal Care and Control Project, Patty Solis, the lead architect, and Virginia Donahue, she's the executive director of Animal Care and Control. I'm ready to hear about this. Let's get started. Tim, please take it away. Thank you, Rachel. Hi, everyone. I'm Tim Kempf project manager for the Animal Care and Control Project. It's a very unique project that I'm super excited to talk to everyone about. Uh, and it's a very unique project and an important project for the people of San Francisco as well. So um, to, I'm happy to provide this project introduction and then we'll be hearing from the other speakers. So to speak a little bit about the project objectives, what this project is all about, it's basically modernizing the animal care and control, or in other words, the ACC, uh, the SFACC, to, in order to meet modern animal health and welfare requirements. So basically what that means is making sure this new facility houses animals in a way that's safe and sanitary and humane. Um, and so that's basic project objective number one. Project objective number two is to build city resilience. Uh, so in the event of a major disaster type of event, uh, this new facility will be able to maintain operations uh, immediately thereafter. So we have backup provisions uh, to, to enable the ACC in order to do that. And so that they can perform their emergency response type activities. So uh, from an animal care point of view, that means basically being uh, responders to um, distress calls where um, there might be um, an owner who can no longer take care of their pet. Uh, so this is made all the more relevant in today's circumstances. And also um, a big kind of takeaway from the Hurricane Katrina in 2005 was that in retrospect, it was recognized that people were reluctant to evacuate the city, even given that horrible natural disaster that happened. Um, for fear of their pets not being able to be properly taken care of. So um, the emergency response of a facility and an operation and department such as ACC will be able to maintain those emergency response type um, if, um, emergent, emergent calls um, right after the event of the, of the disaster. And so this is just to orient everyone where we are in, um, in the city. This is basically um, the northern edge of the Mission District. Uh, what you see shaded in orange is the site of the new ACC facility. It's at 1419 Bryant Street at the corner of Bryant and Alameda Street, uh, immediately uh, adjacent across the 101 freeway from the Costco. And so this is great adjacency to um, not only their existing location, which you see is shaded red there, located at 1215th Street, which is the current ACC, but it, the new facility also provides uh, key adjacencies with the SFSPCA, which you see shaded blue there, um, since the uh, San Francisco Animal Care and Control has a partnership with SF 
SPCA to provide um, activities and share resources uh, amongst their, their two services and the two organizations. And we'll hear from Virginia in a, in a little bit about um, how they differ as well. So I'd like to talk about project objective number three. And this is where this project is so unique, brings such a unique challenge and opportunity to the table for um, the city of San Francisco. It's restoring and preserving a historic landmark. So this building, this is a historic photo, uh, which will look very identical to if you were standing on Bryant Street looking northeast towards the facility today. Um, it was um, built in 1893. And it is um, today a contributing resource to the Showplace Square Historic District, which is a collection of brick factories and warehouses that were built around that time in the late 19th century. So again, this one was built in 1893 and it served as the original powerhouse for San Francisco's uh, first electric streetcar that was operated by the Market Street Railway Company. So that was the first electric streetcar in town uh, that ran electric streetcars up and down Market Street. That was the extent of their public transit um, back in that day. So um, what we're doing here is called an adaptive reuse. And so uh, we'll hear in a little bit again from uh, Patty Solis about what that exactly means. But basically for the ACC project, we're building a new building inside of this old building. And that was as a result of the historic preservation requirements um, that were required for this facility. Obviously for um, historic preservation, we had to maintain all of the exterior building elements. Um, in other words, all of the walls, the windows, the doors, and even the roof profile had to be maintained um, to uh, maintain its historic um, integrity. So uh, here's a shot of what the facility looked like on the inside as a uh, coal-fired powerhouse. Uh, so you see the turbines inside, state-of-the-art, circa 1893 technology to create energy and power them through electrical lines that exited the facility and power the, market, um, the electric streetcars up and down Market Street. So how did we come about this? How did we end up with building a new ACC inside of an old powerhouse. Um, so um, it was uh, through the series of 2014, circa 2014, 2015, in site selection among um, opportunities that were studied uh, among one other site that was potentially available, not quite available, and maybe a little too expensive for acquisition um, as option one, option two being renovate the existing ACC. And of course, we would have to relocate the ACC temporarily into a temporary facility, which would be quite a challenging and expensive endeavor. And we'll understand why after Patty um, describes what all entails building an animal care shelter. Um, or option three, and uh, which is the one that we ended up with. And it was basically a fact, uh, product of fortuitous timing, uh, which aligned with the vacation of um, the SFMTA overhead lines uh, maintenance group, which is uh, the photo that you see here. This is um, the overhead lines maintenance group's um, fleet vehicles parked inside the facility um, immediately prior to construction. Um, and so upon them moving out, that created the opportunity for ACC 
um, to have a site to build on and um, I guess um, uh, take care of that project constraint that um, led to you know not too many good options for the new facility. And so it also provided an opportunity for what we arranged for I guess the project delivery structure for the project, which was essentially what we ended up with as a combination of um, project number one, which actually preceded the ACC. So that was the renovation of the new facility that the SFMTA end user had to relocate out of the new ACC facility to get into. So we first built that warehouse renovation that made it available for SFMTA to vacate and move out. And we combined that project with this project, the animal care and control renovation. So it provided a lot of opportunity and economy of scale, economy of schedule, and a seamless transition between the move out and start of ACC construction. And so for that, we have Clark Construction um, that we had selected um, to deliver both uh, this, whole, this whole contract scope of work, which again, included both facilities. And the method we utilized here in this case was CMGC. So upon site selection, uh, we started schematic design in 2016 and concluded design in 2018 and then started bidding trade packages thereafter, um, at which point we um, started construction in May of 2019. And we are currently on target to uh, complete construction at the end of this calendar year with move-in in the spring of 2021 very next year, spring of 2021. So um, with that, I would like to turn it over to Virginia Donahue, Executive Director of the SFACC. Hello, Virginia. Thanks, Tim. Thank you. So um, San Francisco Animal Care and Control is responsible for all wild and domestic animals in the city. You could see from the previous slide, how many different types of animals we deal with all the time. Um, we're the only municipal agency that, that deals with animals. Um, we are responsible for um, enforcing animal welfare um, and animal control laws. We work a lot in wildlife protection, uh, cruelty and neglect investigations, uh, disaster relief both here and um, with our counties in the area. Uh, we do a lot of emergency care. Uh, we are the only place to go in the city if you've lost your animal. Uh, we also do adoption and public education. So we were founded in 1989. We take in about 10,000 animals a year. We have um, a 93% save rate for dogs and cats, which is phenomenal for an open admission uh, public shelter. So there are other shelters in, in town. And so what's the difference between all of them and us? So first of all, we're government, they're private. We are the only open admission shelter in the area. There are, um, uh, we're the only open admission shelter in the area, which means that we take all animals, any condition, any time. The other shelters are all uh, limited admission. That means they have a specific group of animals they are trying to serve. But between all of us, no adoptable animal is ever euthanized in the city anymore. Um, so we're often confused with our biggest partner and neighbor across the street, the San Francisco SPCA. 
Uh, again, we're the government, they're a nonprofit. Uh, they're, as you can see from the numbers on the screen, they are much, much bigger than us in terms of money and in terms of personnel. Uh, however, we take all species um, and they only take uh, dogs and cats. We are also, um, I wanna reiterate, the only place where you can look for your lost animal. So there is a lot of confusion in the city where people think that if they lost their dog, they should go next door, but actually you need to come to us. So these are some of the animals we work with uh, every day. Um, we've got wildlife, uh, we've got uh, barnyard animals that turn up occasionally, goats and pigs. Um, we've got, you can see on the far left of your screen, you can see we've got a dog that's come in so matted that it goes right in for shaving. You can see all that hair coming off the animal. Um, and then you see some of the wildlife that gets itself stuck in precarious positions. So here we have a pretty common occurrence. We have a raccoon who is stuck in uh, some PG&E equipment. The officers tried to get the raccoon out, but he was having none of it. So um, one of our veterinarians went out into the field, sedated the raccoon, and there you can see the raccoon fast asleep and ready to go back to the wild after we wake him up. An animal that you've heard a lot about uh, in the last couple of years has been a coyote. Uh, we see a lot more coyotes uh, in town than we used to. They've been, um, they made a comeback in 2015. Uh, on the upper left, you can see one who's gotten himself stuck by the Yerba Buena ice rink. Um, uh, there's a picture of a typical public meeting where we're getting out and with our partners in Rec and Park, doing a lot of education about coyotes and um, Usually you stay away from the coyote and the coyote will stay away from you. Uh, and then in the lower right, that's a coyote. Uh, it was an adolescent who wandered into a dry cleaner and it was really, um, well, it was kind of funny, but actually it brought back to the shelter, didn't exam, the coyote was fine, just got seriously confused and messed up in the city. Um, that coyote incidentally is not sedated when, when um, coyotes are frightened, they freeze. So in the field, uh, we're usually, if they're frightened and if they're sort of cornered, we're usually able to just drop a blanket or towel over them and bring them in for care and then release them back to the wild. So this is a Sergeant, I'm sorry, Lieutenant Sadler and Aniki. Uh, Aniki was a dog um, who was being abused by its owner. We found out about the abuse because a, um, building manager could see on his footage that the that the owner was abusing the dog so we were able to go in rescue the dog um, and now you can see aniki bottom right corner living happily ever after with a bunch of other shibuinos so in terms of resiliency and emergency response um, in the last few years we've done a lot of response with um, our fellow counties in response to the wildfires. So you can see an officer out in the field um, uh, leaving water for uh, some pets who had to be left, in left behind. The middle slide actually shows the reunion of a victim of the campfire um, who got separated uh, from his pets and we ended up with one of his dogs and uh, we were able to, to find him and he was able to find us 
uh, so they were reunited. So you've seen the typical work we do on a regular basis. Now, right now we're, work, we're operating out of a warehouse that was built in 1983, 1933, sorry, and was renovated for our use in 1989. Um, as I explain it, we've got a building that works against us rather than for us. Uh, we've got outdated kennel enclosures. We've got terrible ventilation. Our surgical space is very, very small. Uh, we don't meet the standard for being able to operate independently for 72 hours after the earthquake. And we've got a large storm culvert next door um, that if it collapses, we can't get any of our emergency vehicles out of the building. Um, you can see here our small animals who are in the upper left um, are, are squished into this space where they really don't have any space to exercise. Um, we have such a shortage of rooms that we often have predator and prey in the same room, which is a very unhappy situation for everyone. We have not a single conference room in the building, so we do our volunteer training in the second floor lobby. Um, which is not a great condition for anybody involved. And uh, we have 400 volunteers who last year devoted 27,000 hours of time to us. So making space for those people um, to, to come through and work with us is really important. So we were very excited uh, to be able to, to work with DPW on this project. And now I'll turn it over to Patty, who did most of the design. Hello, everybody. My name is Patty Solis. I'm the project architect for this project, working with Bureau of Architecture in San Francisco Public Works, and uh, worked on this project with an amazing team of uh, uh, architects from BOA and structural engineer from um, IDC and a team of outside consultants who have a specialization in animal care facilities. So the challenge of this project um, were many. So one is uh, how do we keep the integrity of this historic structure while doing this adaptive reuse, which essentially slices up uh, the building horizontally at three different levels. Um, and then also how to convert a building type that uh, really typically is a single story horizontal building type um, that is usually located on the outskirts of town to an urban area um, and a vertical building type. So um, we're going to be going through that. And uh, in addition, this is a, a very specialized building type. It's really a one-off. Um, unlike, say, libraries or police stations, which, you know, we have many of and we have um, ability to um, learn from and design again, um, this is the only animal care facility in San Francisco, um, and then that's it. So how do we tackle learning how to design an animal care facility? Um, we did many case studies. We um, did many shelter visits uh, here in the Bay Area. We attended conferences that specialized in uh, animal care. Um, we interviewed the animal care and control staff extensively. They had a lot that we uh, learned from. And then we hired a team of consultants who, um, as I mentioned, all specialized in animal care facilities. And uh, they work across the country, they work across the, the, the world, really, working on animal care facilities. 
So this is the first floor plan. Um, and what you see here is, um, again, we're trying to uh, maintain the integrity of the historic shell. And then we're also trying to address the programmatic needs. Um, as uh, Virginia was saying, a really important component is the separation of predator and prey. Um, so what you see here in all the blue areas are the dog kennel rooms. Um, the dog kennel rooms were located on the first floor because there's extensive uh, washdown involved and at the center of the kennels are these trench drains and really those can only go at grade. So um, that kind of dictated the first step, which is locate the dogs downstairs at grade. Um, and then we also uh, had to separate the, the building into two halves. So um, Virginia's slide showed one lobby, which is far from ideal. So really what you need to have for this kind of facility are two separate lobbies. So on the right, you see an intake lobby. Um, and that is a little bit more of a stressful area. Um, that's where dogs are, or animals are surrendered. That's where you come to look for a lost animal. Um, and that's where the custody animals um, are, you know, are brought in and processed. Um, on the left is the main lobby, and that's what we informally call the happy lobby. Um, that's where one would come uh, when they're ready to adopt an animal to take home. So, um, and then the red indicates the circulation. So there's like different levels of circulation that have to occur uh, within the building um, to keep the, the back of house and the front of house separate. Um, we had to carve out, as I mentioned before, this is a, a vertical, a horizontal building type that we're putting in a vertical shell, um, really. Um, so we had to carve out open spaces. Um, you can see here that there's an exterior dog run. So this is a really important space uh, for the dogs to get their exercise, but it also is a courtyard and um, it functions to bring in light deep into the building. So it was a, a nice opportunity to um, kind of fill two needs. Um, and then you see a classroom right above the exterior dog run and the, that is where the training will occur for the um, volunteers and, and um, also for animals when they have any kind of training sessions. Okay, so um, the second floor uh, shows um, a little, the different species that are located um, above. So as you come up the main stairs, there is um, a room that will contain the smalls. And then there's also reptiles and birds, and then a lot of adoptable cat rooms. Um, and as you can see here, we tried to always pull the program away from the perimeter of the building wherever we could. Um, because we felt that that could really um, uh, highlight the windows and the, the historic shell and uh, bring light in, you know, deeper into the space. Um, to the left are the administration offices and then to the right is again back of house. That's where they have wildlife, um, the volunteer room, the um, cat processing, uh, isolation rooms, feral cats, etc. And then uh, the building was actually built in two phases. So that, that demising wall down the middle um, separates the building, which was built, uh, the south building was built in 1893, and then the north building was built in 1895. So in the south building, we have the Sally Port. Um, uh, as you go up Bryant Street, the grade goes up. So um, the south building is actually at grade on Alameda. So we have a Sally Port where the animal control officers pull in um, high-speed um, 
uh, coiling doors, which will uh, close right behind them. And then they can take out the animal, take them through processing, and if needed, take them to the vet suite or to um, one of the animal housing locations. And then this is the third floor. So um, we had to make a roof deck because again, we don't have any outside space. So we had to create outside space where we could. Um, and then here you see uh, these two green areas. There's a secondary dog run upstairs and that can be divided into two separate zones. And then in the upper left corner is the small animal run. And so that will be a place where the bunnies and the guinea pigs uh, will actually have a little bit of outside time. And then to the um, extreme left and to the extreme right are mechanical areas, which are open air. Um, at one point, uh, we were, uh, planning had asked that we try to roof everything over, but really we needed um, all the mechanical and all these animals places to be uh, open air. So um, we have that open air with a lot of extensive bracing. And what you see here is um, basically the building section perspective. And this building was really one that was designed a lot, quite a lot in section, meaning um, we really tried to find moments where you can get capture the volume. Um, I'm not sure if you remember the original photo of what the space looked like. It was really quite an amazing, uh, beautiful historic uh, volume that hadn't gone through any uh, renovations at all. So um, it was very important to try to um, create moments where you could really capture the essence of what that building uh, originally felt like and have the structure revealed. And this is a photo of that entrance lobby, the adoption lobby. So here you have a triple height space. You see the main stair that goes up. Um, and then uh, on the lower left is the public art component um, that was done through the San Francisco Art Commission. And the artist was Fabiana Rodriguez, um, who is from the East Bay. And this is her first SFAC commission. Um, and so this, this wall will, um, receive these uh, animal cutouts, which also will function to help orient people like which species is on which floor. So on that green wall that you see on the picture to the right, there will be a large dog um, painting located there. And then the smalls, the cats, the birds, those are all um, on the wall indicating that they're upstairs. This is an image of that South building, the one built in 1893. Um, and it, you can see it's really a beautiful, spectacular place. Um, this shows the bridge crane, uh, which is an original component of the building. And we really tried to keep it, but unfortunately it was a structural li liability. So we, we had to take it out. And then here you see um, the, the construction in progress. Um, uh, there was a horizontal bracing that was placed right below the trusses, the original roof structure in the South Building was um, kept. Uh, that was a value engineering decision. And there's this uh, amazing um, light monitor that you see down the middle. Um, but in addition to the bracing that you see right below the trusses, we also had to, or structural engineering also had to add another floor plate um, for horizontal diaphragm um, in order to deal with torsional irregularities between the North and the South Building. So um, it was very tricky because it was important that this floor plate be located high enough to clear those arched windows, um, but low enough where you could get some decent head height below the bracing. 
Um, and this is a picture now with the floor plate in. So you're basically in an attic space, um, but it's got access to light from the roof, the light monitors above. And it was dimensioned precisely so it could just be considered um, legally occupiable space per code. Um, so it's, um, it's actually, you know, hopefully going to be serving maybe some kind of function in the future. Um, and you see some workers there um, maintaining um, or restoring the light monitor windows. Um, this is a picture from the second floor north building. Um, and as you can see, again, we're trying to pull back any kind of uh, program and construction from the perimeter of the building so that we can really late, uh, let the windows um, uh, shine because they're very uh, impressive windows. Uh, where we did have to put program up against the building, um, it was always open office space, conference rooms. So on the west side of the building were these enormous arched windows. So we have, um, we have the walls aligning so that they don't encroach on these windows. And here are some slides of the courtyard. Um, so you see these long stairs. Um, essentially, those are uh, something that was come up with that we came up with and we call them dog stairs. Um, we had to value engineer one of the elevators out of the building. So um, originally there were two elevators. We ended up with just one elevator and um, we knew that they, the dogs had to be taken upstairs to the roof to get their exercise quite a lot. So these dog stairs have a very shallow rise, only four inches and a very deep run, 24 inches. Um, and so that was just a way for, for getting the animals up and out and not uh, relying too much on an elevator. Um, you see on the lower left, um, the rendering that shows um, the turf system. So it'll have an artificial turf system and below that will be an integral rinsing system so that all the waste is flushed away. And then here's a close up of that dog stair. Um, on the opposite side of that demising wall, um, you see that picture on the right. And so there's bracing for that. Um, you can see the layers of uh, history there in that paint. And after we saw uh, what it looked like, we decided that we we're going to omit painting that wall and just give it a clear coat in order to encapsulate and kind of get a, um, a read into uh, what are the layers of history that this building has. And this is a picture up at the level three roof deck. Um, you can see the dog run there that's under construction. And um, to the right, you can see all the bracing that uh, is occurring uh, in order to um, support the heavy masonry walls around the perimeter. And then this is an image of the south building, which is below grade. As I mentioned, um, the slope goes up. Um, you can see that there are abundant water tanks. Um, again, this building has to be resilient and remain 72 hours off the grid. So all the domestic water um, goes through these tanks. And um, there's also a generator, which is in the parking lot. And you can also see some other special features, such as these cat condos, which are under construction and um, actually have a negative air plenum right behind them so that all of the air that is inside that, dot, that cat room gets exhausted directly out. And, um, here we show some special features that were based on best practices and um, interviews with staff and what we've seen at other facilities. So um, Dutch door. So a lot of people bring their animals to work at ACC or they just have animals 
that are housed there in their offices. So um, where we could, the doors have um, Dutch doors. And then on the right, what looks like a toilet fixture is actually called a flush fixture. And that is designed specifically for animal facilities um, to flush the waste away and hopefully reduce what recology has to come and pick up because currently there's just a lot of waste generated. Um, you also see a hose reel there, um, two hose reels, and one of them ties to a special system called SMT. Um, and that remotely has chemicals located and it will pump through the building and dispense the correct proportion of chemicals for washing away and disinfecting. And here you can see just some images from last week, um, you know, the surreal um, conditions um, under which this project has continued to proceed. Um, and under COVID-19, it has been a challenge um, figuring out how to put up sheetrock yet still maintain six foot distance and, um, you know, just keep safe for everybody. So um, Clark has been doing a super great job and we've only lost a few days in terms of our overall schedule. Um, and again, this is a, an aerial image of our site. It's very close to the 101. And as you can see, um, it'll be very prominent from the freeway um, and hopefully give new life and visibility to animal care and control. Thank you very much. All right, thank you, Patty, Virginia, and Tim for giving us the rundown of the new animal care and control facility. My name is Ben Peterson. I'm on the Public Works Communications team, and I'm gonna be facilitating the uh, question and answer portion of today's webinar. Um, our first question is for Virginia, and it's from Marcy Camacho. Uh, Marcy's asking, um, what, when you say uh, like smalls, in terms of small animals, what animals does that include? Um, okay, so small animals are rabbits, guinea pigs, uh, rats, um, generally those guys. They live in cages, basically. Um, actually, bunnies are one of the fastest growing pets in the country right now. Hmm. I would not have guessed that. <laughs> Thank you. Um, our, our next question is for Tim. Um, and you mentioned during your portion of the presentation uh, the building's rich history and all of the background. Um, were there any um, regulatory hurdles or issues that came up during the construction process due to the historic nature of the building? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's a good question. And so it was a rigorous analysis of all of the preservation um, requirements that were uh, levied on the project. Uh, this was a product of um, the environmental impacts analysis for entitlements and CEQA clearance. And so it was getting very, very close to the planning department to understand uh, what it is that that meant for this building. And then in turn, what that meant to the project and the constraints. And so that kind of really set the stage for what Patty beautifully laid out here in um, what we're looking at in retrospect as an incredibly well-designed uh, facility, just not only from an animal care point of view, but also working within the constraints of the historic envelope as well. So um, that was a thread that ran throughout the project for basically every day thereafter, including uh, up until today, where you see those um, craftsmen taking painstaking care to renovate all of the, each and every window pane sometimes in um, certain areas uh, to give it the, um, the care that it 
um, had not seen since uh, maybe well over a century. So um, it was it was a, a really interesting um, process to see that through. Um, but yeah, that that was that was a very intensive period that um, really set the stage for all the rest of the phases thereafter. All right, definitely seems like there's a lot of moving parts to that uh, to that workflow. Thank you for uh, for that answer, Tim. Um, we have another question for Virginia. Um, has uh, has there ever been an animal that's been brought into animal care and controls facility that really took you by surprise due to um, you know the, the breed of the animal or anything like that that really sticks out and uh, is memorable to this day? Well, let's see. Um, we've had a run on goats and not sorry, but we have had a goat, but we had a run on pigs over the past couple of years. And I think the best pig story was uh, somebody called at 6 a.m. to say there's a pig running on Dolores Street. And uh, <laughs> Lieutenant Sadler was in that day and she thought, eh, probably not. And at 6.05 came another call, pig running down Dolores Street. She said, well, two pig calls, I better get out there. So she went out to Dolores Street. Um, there, sure enough, there is a pig running around. Um, and uh, as she got there, um, a Franciscan friar in full robes ran down the street and snared the pig. And so we got the pig back to ACC. The friar came to visit. I had no idea we had Franciscan friars in full robes. Um, uh, and in fact, when Ellie told me the story, as she's going on, I said, wait, do you mean a real friar or do you mean a sister of perpetual indulgence? And she was like, no, no, it's a real friar. Um, so I think that's our, our funniest animal story. That sounds like an only in San Francisco tale, Virginia. It, it, it does, doesn't exactly. it? Yeah, but we've had a couple of them. And I, we, they never, they're never claimed. We, they, we never have somebody who says, yes, that was my pig. And uh, we have kind of a, a follow-up to that question from uh, Beth Rubenstein, who asks, um, do you ever work with the Marine Mammal Center or the zoo, uh, San Francisco Zoo at all? Um, the Marine Mammal Center has, you know, the, the animals that they take care of. So if we get a call that really should go to them, you know, okay. we, we, we do that. Um, and uh, we don't, we communicate with the zoo because our captain, Captain Corso, uh, she used to do gorillas at the zoo. So she came to us from the zoo. So we've communicated with them a, a, a great deal, but we don't, um, we don't do their species. Okay, <laughs> thank you. Um, our, our next question is uh, for, I guess it could be for both Patty and Virginia. Um, throughout both of your presentations, you talked a lot about a lot of the unique features of this building for you know, its unique use as a um, anim animal control and care center. Um, how did the um, consulting process of deciding those different design elements go? Was there an outside consultant? Did you consult um, animal care and control employees or volunteers? Uh, could you tell us a little bit more about how that um, that worked out? Sure. Well, from uh, the designer's perspective, we really had to learn from animal care and control. So there was quite a learning curve. And um, again, a lot of um, talking to Virginia, talking to her staff, going to conferences, um, finding out even which, um, which consultants we need to get on board. So um, MEP is really specialized in animal care and control. 
um, in order to reduce, um, you know, re reduce the spread of disease and smells and, and acoustics, you know, we had to get an acoustician um, an animal husbandry specialist who helped design the vet suite. So it was really a learning curve. I think a lot of it really came from the direction of uh, a really great working relationship with our clients. Um, and I have to say DPW took it, took us very, very seriously. They understood that this is not an office um, or it's not an office where you're happen to be housing animals instead of people. It's a whole different thing. It's more akin um, in some ways to a hospital with, with the level of ventilation and floors and, and mess. And I think they all know now that anything below four feet will get peed on by something. <laughs> all right, thank you. Um, I think we have time for about one more question. And um, this one I, I think is, is kind of geared towards uh, Virginia as well. Uh, it's from Maureen Zog who asked, um, has the cat area been enlarged from its present footprint? Um, also, will there be special areas for meeting adopters, quarantine for ringworm, and um, things of that nature? Yeah, can can is it possible to pull up the second the the slide that shows the floor plan for the second floor? Anyway, so on the second floor, the, on the upper portion of the slide, where where there the red dots are, that has um, all the different kinds of available cats. On the left side, you see those four rooms with no enclosures in it. Those are going to be for cats who can hang out together. So it could be a mom and kittens. It could be a bonded pair. Could be could be anything like that. And then further to the to the right in the gray areas, we have um, a, a four room isolation suite, and each room can hold I think it's eight to twelve cats. So we can have one room, one room for URI, one room for ringworm, one room for mysterious whatever. So we'll have a lot more isolation space um, that is completely separate from the regular cats. And there, what was it? Ben, there was another part to that question, I think. Uh, yes, the second part was, uh, will there be special areas for meeting adopters uh, and quarantine for ringworm or other uh, things? Like yeah, that? so I should talked about the quarantine area, but yes, then there is a get acquainted room for um, cats and that's the yellow, the room colored yellow directly below the cats. Um, and uh, there'll be a separate area downstairs, of course, for the dogs. Um, so we'll be able to keep all that separate. And That's then also cool. on the far right, there's going to be a special place for feral cats or cats that we suspect are feral that's quieter and removed from everything else so that um, volunteers and ACC staff can, can work with those cats uh, in, a, in a separate area until we decide if they're going to have to go into a barn cat program or we can socialize them enough for somebody's home. Great. Uh, thank you very much, Virginia. Um, that's all the question, time we have for questions right now. Um, for those that we did not get to, um, we will uh, reach back out and um, answer those via email or um, yeah, probably email um, within the next uh, few days or so. Thank you for all of your questions. Um, I'm going to turn it over to Rachel Gordon, who will be giving our uh, closing remarks. Thank you, Ben, for that. Well, this wraps up the first episode of Snapshots Live webinar series for San Francisco Public Works. I certainly learned a lot. My family has been a long time adoptive families for animal care and control. No uh, 
goats or pigs or even rats yet, but lots of dogs and cats over the years. And this is really a game changer for San Francisco. I want to thank our panelists today, Tim Kempf, Patty Solis, and Virginia Donahue, and also our producers, Nikki Wu and Ben Peterson, for all the work he did uh, to getting, making sure that this could work out really well. We will be back uh, for the third Thursday of every month with a new webinar next month for the uh, anniversary again of the Loma Prieta earthquake. We'll be talking about the new floating fire station on the Embarcadero. Uh, please keep an eye out for more information on that. But right now, I'd really like to thank everyone for joining us for the Snapshot Sides, uh, Snapshots Live webinar series. It's been a great learning experience for us all. Thanks for coming. See you next time.